The Pace Line is produced by The Cycling Independent, the only cycling media completely free of commercial influence. We are community-supported and dedicated to the whole of cycling. As our tagline says, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. From the Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, Patria Vandermark. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. How you doing, Patria? I'm doing great. I had a fabulous weekend. Uh, how about does you? That mean, does that mean fat biking? Yes, fat biking, <laughs> road riding on my evergreens, so oh. road riding basically on the gravel bike. Uh, I got a new fat bike this weekend so uh, it was it was pretty spectacular wait you got a new bike this weekend and you didn't ride it for every single hour you were on bikes this weekend <laughs> how does that not make any sense i did ride it twice on saturday first thing and last thing <laughs> and with the conditions and everything that that made sense but i can't wait to get back out there on there <laughs> that's great so it's, it's all very very good how about you how's your back doing um, i'm at about 90 percent uh i am uh i'm not always well i'm known for for being reasonably bright but i'm not always known for my intelligence uh but no i've uh i've managed to stay off the mountain bike uh i've managed to stay on paved surfaces uh to give my back a better chance to recover uh, spend a little more time on that vibrating peanut. Um, mm. yeah, so I'm, you know, I'm getting there, uh, and I'll be talking more about, uh, the miles I've been doing in my pull when we get there, uh, which is to say I'm, I'm not going fast. Unlike the folks, uh, in the middle East and Europe. Yeah. Can you believe it? A whole, the UAE tour stage race week long is already over. Here it is, just, March 1st, and mm -hmm. we're looking down the barrel of some really cool cobbles, uh, cobble classics. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've got to say, even though it's not an event that has any serious history to it, the Strada Bianchi in Tuscany, that is absolutely one of my favorite events that there is. Uh, I, I've certainly ridden some of those uh, unpaved roads there, uh, the mm -hmm. white roads. Um, it's, it's fun. I mean, I'd really like to go back now that I have a gravel bike and I wasn't doing it on 23 millimeter tires. Uh, that, right. I don't know. Might make a little difference. Uh, I was, I mean, last time I did that, I was nervous as hell about, uh, getting a flat and I managed not to, uh, mm -hmm. but to just go barreling through some of that stuff, uh, with tubeless and, you know, <laughs> maybe a mm -hmm. 35 or 40 millimeter tire, uh, I actually, it's funny. I actually kind of pity those guys now, you know, running at, <laughs> yeah. at the, at the biggest, like 28s. Right. <laughs> yeah. Which they probably are writing. I would imagine for this. Yeah. yeah. I mean, a lot of pros are running 28s. Yeah. So, but, but yes, at the paces they're going, mm -hmm, they're hitting mm -hmm. it hard. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, like Flanders, they're, they're not going up to 28s like they do Roubaix. They're on 25s. Hmm. No, Why are they on twenty no, fives no. versus twenty eights then? Because the, Flanders. the cobbles in Flanders are smoother 
Uh, they're better placed. There aren't the big holes that you get in certain sections in, in Roubaix. Uh, yeah. So it's a much smoother ride. The cobbles are better matched to each other. Uh, so you go instead of go, 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 go. Sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Which you do. You do. Those are tough. They're definitely hard on the body. Yeah. And the I, bike and everything else. Yeah. I haven't done any of the, the big five star sections. Uh, well, I haven't done any of the sectors of Roubaix, but I've I've ridden just a little bit of what uh, Flanders has. And uh, yeah, you can roll over that stuff pretty quick. It's not bad. Oh, yeah. that's um, that's good to hear. I, I rode mean, the Perry Roubaix. Yeah, all all of the cobbles. I did the what thirty thirty to thirty three miles of cobbles, and <sighs> it was, it, yeah, it was very jarring. I found I yeah I I enjoyed it a lot, but it was <laughs> tough. I could not imagine doing it next to somebody at high speeds when the cobbles are wet. Mm-hmm. Like there's just so many elements of when you're stuck and pinned in between people and you have to take this line and there's so many bad lines to take. Right. Right. I mean, imagine, yeah, there's a, there's an excellent line 12 inches to your right, but it's currently occupied by someone else, you know? Right. (laughs) Yep. And then the crashes that are ground sky, ground sky, ground sky. It's like, Oh yeah, that is the worst. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, Let's jump into it. What is your poll with us this week? Well, this has to do with the Saturday night ride. It was a full moon. So oh, my new, yeah. My new bike was perfectly timed with the full moon ride. And this is my new bike is a Seven Cycles Highline. This is a new model from Seven. So it is a fat bike and it doubles as a mountain bike, a fat uh, plus mountain bike in okay. the summer when i put a 27.5 plus wheel set mm-hmm. with the, the plus tires on it and then i'll also put a suspension fork on it in the summer so i'll switch it over to be my hardtail mountain bike in the summer so now it's it's fat and doing all of the wonderful things it can do as a fat bike it's extremely light with mm-hmm. each of the tires that i have on there right now so each tire weighs three and a half pounds <laughs> because they're studded 45 North Rothschild tires, they're great tires. They're worth every gram of how heavy they are because mm-hmm. you're able to stick on ice and all that stuff. So with tires adding up to seven pounds, the whole bike weighs in at 27 and a half pounds. Oh, OK. To give you an idea, it's 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 light, but it's not all about weight. Obviously, fat is not about weight. It's about how it rides. Mm-hmm. So it floats over just just minefields of baby heads rocks mm-hmm. floats hardly feel anything under it and i had to, i p- pump the tires up to about six to eight psi and the bike still floats over mm-hmm. all that stuff feels it feels really really good how so, wide a tire are you running 4.6 inches okay okay i mean which is yeah, which is big. nice i i mm-hmm. like 4.8 inch better and i can't wait until a five inch tire is available right now i don't think there's a five inch fat tire on the market from what i could tell I've, I've been looking around for that because that's what i'd love to ride as a summer fat bike tire uh-huh. set is that that, wow. that float feels so good but right now 4.6 inch because that's the size of the Rothschilds, and having those xl studs in new england is exceptionally important mm. that makes sense yeah 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 
So, so Saturday being a full moon and it happened to be a rainy day. Um, it's warmed up here quite a lot. I mean, we mentioned this in the last show here. It's starting to feel like spring. And with those temperatures, you just can't be on trails. Some trails are nice and frozen, but many of them are soft. So mm-hmm. when we're doing a group ride, we can't risk who knows what's going on in the trails. So we decided to go out to the beach. We were on a beach that was northeast from Boston. Okay. So so not too long of a drive. It's probably like a 40-minute drive for most people who showed up to the ride. And then the route was the beach. And then we actually had some trails incorporated into the ride as well uh, that are just not not protected trails at all. Mm-hmm. And where where people drive their trucks, and there were some muddy areas. It was it was neat. It was a neat mix of <laughs> of stuff. And it happened to stop raining when we rolled out, which was amazing. <laughs> Helpful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, and I should also mention that Saturday morning when we were doing the the final scouting of this route on the beach, it was snowing. It was snowing. <laughs> Big, fluffy flakes. It was glorious. So those were the very first miles on my fat bike with the snow falling. It was just perfect. I couldn't believe that. because I mean, of course, you take delivery of a fat bike this time of year and you don't see another flake of snow for another six months or nine months or something. And that's OK. I'm willing to take my chances because this bike's going to be great fun all all year long. So I'm, I'm OK. I'm OK if the snow goes away and being out there on the beach under the moon is just so incredible. So if you haven't done it, highly recommend getting out there. As long as the beach is public, you're good to go. There's no one out there in the, at night, and especially if it's cold. I'm sure beaches <laughs> during during the on season aren't going to be as fun because there's going to be a lot of people out there. But right now, pre-season, that's great. It's just so quiet and peaceful. And then with a full moon, that's bright and shining down on you. Even better. Hmm. So we took this group out riding on the beach and we went south and we we um, rode probably about five miles south and a rider in the group had his derailleur hanger snap for whatever reason. I mean, this is a very benign ride. There wasn't anything to interfere with the derailleur it mm-hmm. didn't hit anything you know, typically sure trail ride you get a stick stock or something there's some reason why this would have happened so it just snapped but here we were as about as far away from our cars as you can possibly get um, <laughs> oh. this is a this is a cautionary tale from real life of coming prepared on every ride and not just the big rides because obviously going on the beach sounds like well, it's easy to not take it seriously enough. Mm-hmm. And hey, at this point, we started the ride at 6 p.m. It was 7.30 when this happened. It's, it's kind of late at night, and it's not that easy to get help or figure out how, how to deal with this. So first thing, if your bike has a replaceable derailleur hanger, order two extras and have at least one of those on you at all times. Most people's bikes have a replaceable derailleur hanger. If mm-hmm. you don't have one, that's great. You don't have to worry about it. And there's a good reason why your bike doesn't have one. Like I, My bike doesn't have one. If something were to happen, I can bend it back and everything's fine. 
But most people do have this, so it's good to be aware of. Ask for one. It might take a little while to order one in. or And then, of course, get two. Because you're going to need, unless you're planning on selling your bike right away, it's good to have an extra. Uh, you want to have those with you. And you also would like to have a power or a quick link for your chain. This is exceptionally important. Now, KMC calls theirs a missing link. Shimano calls theirs the quick link. And Serum calls theirs a power link. It's all the same concept. So look it up. You want to have what is appropriate for your chain and have two pairs for your setup. It's not a bad idea to have extras of various speeds because if you're riding with other people, well, you can help someone else out. And like in this situation, when one rider has a problem, it becomes a problem for the entire group. It's mm-hmm. it's not, you know, unfortunately, and this is the way it happened. The person who had this happen to him didn't have anything on him, didn't have any tools, no spare tooth, you know, just nothing. But it was our problem. We had to figure out how to get him back or something. So um, the more the more you are off, your your ride will be. And hopefully that person pays you back for whatever it is that you spent on their bike. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You find out, find out how your, your co-riders treat you after that. Um, so ideally in this situation, when this derailleur hanger breaks, you take it off and you put a new one on, you put your derailleur back on and away you go. Maybe it's not shifting perfectly after that, but it's, it's not a big deal. Hopefully when it snapped, you didn't continue to pedal so that your derailleur isn't completely mangled. Right. I've seen plenty of times when this happens and the derailleur is destroyed. So Missing spokes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Exactly. Your rear wheel could also be a mess. So if you stop riding the moment you hear a noise, hopefully all the, the pull problem is just replacing that derailleur hanger. Obviously, you have to make sure you have the right tools to handle the screws or whatever it is that holds that derailleur hanger on your bike. So these are good things. We're preparing for spring, trying to prepare in general. Just try it. See what happens. See what you need to take that derailleur hanger off to put a new one on there. It's not even a bad idea to, to take it off because imagine what if those screws are, are frozen in there or maybe one stripped if you bought your bike used. Maybe someone's already put a tool in there and you can't get it off. You really don't want to be surprised in the middle of the night or in somewhere you really don't want to be stuck. All those all those good things. So. Mm-hmm. Know, know thy bike. <laughs> now, I, when I think about it, this is about the fifth time at least I've been on a ride where a rider has had this happen. Once of all these five times, the rider had the spare hanger. Otherwise, mm-hmm. people have not had the spare hanger. And it's interesting because most people who've had this happen to them now come really, really well prepared. <laughs> but try to try to not have to learn the hard way in order to have your stuff um now if you don't have your hanger and you have to make the bike a single speed for whatever reason your derailleur is destroyed or anything else you need to know how to manage breaking the chain with your chain breaker and i've I mentioned the f17 multi-tool in the past that i like well i had mine on me and that's what i used to break the chain to make the chain shorter and what you want to do is get that chain lined up so it you lay it over the cassette is straight as it possibly can go back from the smallest ring of your your 
crank set of your, your chain <laughs> ring. So the small chain ring to the center of the, the cassette. So trying to get that straight chain line. And then you want to make the chain as short as possible. Now, I, I, I don't I haven't done this a lot. I've made yeah plenty of bikes, single speeds, but it's been a while. And I forgot about the importance of making the chain as short as possible. So I made it a little on the long side so that the chain was wanting to jump up the cassette. Mm-hmm. And this was obviously worrisome because if it jumps up the cassette, then that makes it too tight. If the rider puts down any power, that would just snap the chain and we'd be back to square one. So so I, I've learned from this, and this is part of why I'm doing this poll, is to relay what I've learned so that, again, hopefully you don't have to learn the hard way. You just want to make that chain as tight as possible so the chain can't run up the cassettes. So what I should have done in that case was simply place the chain up a cog and that Mm -hmm. may have tightened it up enough. Or I could have shortened the chain again in order to make it tighter and Mm -hmm. place it on the right gear that allows the chain to be tight enough. And it's pretty tight. It shouldn't have a lot of movement in it. So then obviously pedal through and make sure the chain's going to stay. And then when the rider's riding this bike, this is this is a fix just to get a person home. You don't put a lot of power into it. You don't stand up because that's really dangerous. If the chain were to break, you fall flat on your face. That's that's a very dangerous situation if you're powering down on the chain when if the chain were to break, because it just lets you loose and then and you pretty much fall off the bike. So there are plenty of YouTube videos that will show you how to shorten a chain, how to deal with a chain breaker on all those sorts of things. I would suggest going to your local bike shop and ask them for an old chain. You can play with that at home. Try breaking it. Just get that chain in your hand, get the tool in your hand and do it a few times because you don't want to have to try to figure it out for the first time on the trail. It's cold. It's dark. You can't see as well. You want to have familiarity with all of your tools and the chain. And, and typically a chain's gross. It's sturdy. There's just so many other factors playing in to this attempting to to dissuade you from being successful in, in your attempt to get your, your bike fixed. And of course, in this situation, there's a group ride. So I've got, what, 14 eyes staring at me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I always this. love doing repairs with an audience. That's my favorite. Exactly. <laughs> I, it, to everyone's credit, I, I was very impressed. Everyone let me do the fix and stood back and offered thoughts of what they thought. But no one got in my way and made it a lot faster. And it was it was very nice. It was a very pleasant situation. And people were enjoying chit chatting. It, it, it was a it was a good situation for a bad situation. It was awfully pleasant out there. <laughs> and that certainly helps. It's when someone's like, oh, let me do it. Or you're not doing that right. That sort of thing. There's there's a lot of different dynamics out there that can make it be much more stressful and, and difficult. Right. Now, a couple of things to think about when you're breaking the chain. There are outer plates and inner plates on a chain. So when you're playing around with them, notice that you want the open ends of the chain to be those of the inner plates, like those are the ones you want to be exposed because those are the links that you're going to be using to put in the quick links. I think that's easy to miss. If you look at YouTubes, a lot of them don't mention that. So if you if you break it at the wrong part of the link, then 
you're not going to be able to get the quick link in. You'll learn very quickly because you're not going to be able to get the quick link in. You're going to wonder why. And then you just go to the next, the next pin, yeah. push that out. And then, and then it will work. So just be aware of, of that. So let's see what else, what else would I like to offer from this, from this situation? Okay. So, well, let me, well, let me finish the story. So the, the chain was running up the cassette and I was worried that this rider was not going to make it back. So we went back to the beach at this point where, where this had happened. We were actually just off the beach. We were going to go hit some trails. So we went back to the beach and we figured, okay, well, we'll give him a shot like, see if this is going to work. He can ride really gingerly. And it was obvious as my bike was making all kinds of noises. And I was like, ah, this is probably not going to be good. Somebody mentioned, and I don't know who, something about, oh, wouldn't it be great to have for him to have a toe? And that reminded me that there's actually a product out there that is an elastic cord where like, a parent will attach the cord to a child's bike or anyone who needs a toe for the purposes oh. of, and this was something, a link, uh, someone, uh, one of, uh, one of my customers sent along to me, uh, not too long ago. And that inspired the thought of daisy chaining fat tubes together. Huh. So luckily I had two fat tubes spares in my saddlebag. So we daisy chained them together. I wrapped one side around my seat post and the other side around his head tube. So this okay. gave us a, a reasonable distance between the two bikes, which is <laughs> helpful. Right. And I mean, obviously his brakes are still working, so he could control his bike. He could still steer his bike appropriately because uh, there were still things to avoid on the beach. Like there were rocks we were riding around and all that sort of stuff. And then not too long after trying this out on the beach, I wanted to get very comfortable with it to make sure this was a safe situation before we went on the road and there was a road paralleling the beach. So we ended up on the road. That was uh, quite a lot easier, a little bit leg saving for the person who's attempting to do the pulling in this situation, <laughs> but it worked out really, really well. The give and the tubes allowed allowed just enough give so that when we started getting going, there wasn't any too much pull back on me. And then we could mm -hmm. just get some momentum. And then when we were going uphill, he could kick with a foot. That helped a lot. But then we got going. We made really good time getting back. It was it was huh. pretty cool. It was very impressive. And needless to say, there were many jokes made. And a lot of fun, <laughs> despite the, the not ideal situation. I'm really thankful to be able to ride with people who are so fun and so like forgiving of difficult situations. I know mm -hmm. there's some people in the world who would be very upset and maybe throw a little bit of a fit, that sort of thing. Everyone was pretty chill. Hey, it's a full moon. We get to be out here under this full moon and have a great ride together. It was a, it was a really neat time. And I'm hoping this this story can offer you some insight, perspective, and a little impetus to go out, get a chain, maybe break your own chain, get some quick links, pack your set, pack your bag, uh, your saddlebag, so that this doesn't happen to you. And good chance you are going to be in a situation where this happens to either you or a co-writer. So you want to be prepared. Be the be the person who knows what to do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one thing that uh, I would mention for folks is that uh, should you need to break the chain, 
you know, whether you've got the power link or whoever's particular uh, link in the chain, just leave that one alone. Don't worry about it because trying to unlock it, that takes a special tool. Uh, and you were, it's funny, most all the good multi tools I know have a chain tool, but nothing to deal with a power link. Um, so break the chain elsewhere and then just the, once you're finished, the chain will now have two power links in it. Um, and so that I think is a, a really important, uh, distinction. I've been on rides where people have broken chains and it's funny how often that question will come up in terms of, Oh, well, how do I deal with this? And it's like, no, just leave it alone. Go elsewhere in the chain. You've got a chain tool, push a pin out, push two pins out, you know, and then you'll mm-hmm. be able to deal with that. Um, yeah. Now that's a, uh, it's a good point. In this particular situation, his quick link was stuck in the derailleur. So we couldn't, we oh. didn't have access to it. So we could have broken the chain with that. And my paceline pick, which I will get to when it comes time for that part in the show, I will tell you how to break the chain by way of the quick link. Hmm. But yes, you can certainly pop the the pin out and having multiple quick links in your chain is not a problem. Right. If it's strong enough for one spot in the chain, it's strong enough for two and two spots in the chain. Indeed. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but man, uh, I, you know, I like the idea of the, the daisy chaining of, of fat, uh, fat bike tubes. Um, it was that's... cool. No one thought it was going to work. Everyone was, I think, just laughing at me thinking, oh, boy, here goes another something that's just no way is this going to work. And <laughs> we'll I was get a good story out of it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I was making jokes. I was like, OK, so I'm going to pull him for a couple miles and then I'm giving him to somebody else. Like between me and him, the, the weight difference between his bike and him and me was probably about 50, 60 pounds. Oh. So I was I, I definitely. Yeah, kind of looks kind of funny (laughs) that I would be the one pulling (laughs) and and there are definitely stronger, more accomplished cyclists on the ride. But everyone was just like too like having too much fun watching this whole thing not work. And then it worked Mm -hmm. and we got going. I was getting a great workout. I mean, you're going to be talking about training and all this stuff. I was making all kinds of good jokes about how this is my training plan and we got to do this more often. (laughs) It it, it was good. I, yeah, I mean, I'm thinking back on all the times that uh, I was on rides and people broke chains or destroyed cassettes or did something and there were, just wasn't enough hardware and whatever else to get things fixed. And so we'd end up pushing someone back. Oh, uh, that's tough. I, I I was on a ride down in San Diego once with a friend and a friend of hers who was just starting to try to get fit again after years as a smoker and whatever else she broke her chain Mm. and I had to push her something like 12 miles back to the parking lot. Wow. And I was, I, I, for whatever reason, I really wasn't comfortable trying to push her with her to my left, only to my right. Mm -hmm. Well, my right arm, by the time we got back to the parking lot (laughs) was just, vestigial it was done wow that sounds so hard uh yeah it was it was not easy no and you have and there to wasn't continue to trade off with oh goodness and you have to keep riding straight like that situation has always made me nervous like when someone's giving me a push uphill like 
writers mm-hmm. will come along. It's always it's a nice, kind act uh, gesture to give a person a push up a hill. But I always thought if I were the person doing the pushing, I would be worried I'd lose control of my bike. Like you really have to continue to go straight. So that seems tricky, especially for um, that kind of distance. You know, it's a skill like anything else we learn on the bike. And, you know, honestly, it's the sort of thing that it is really handy to pick a parking lot and get some friends together and do a few different exercises, like reaching down to pick up a water bottle. And maybe this is a whole pull in a week or two. Uh, That's a good point. This would be good to talk about, especially this time of season. Yeah. And, you know, it. It's also there are times where you think you're you're really kind of helping pushing somebody and, uh, you know, it, it takes a fair amount of wattage to really do much good. Uh, so it's uh, yeah, it's a challenge. But again, it's a skill like anything else. And you get a feel for it after a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, that said, it has now been a fair number of years since I've had to push anybody. Um, yeah. Excellent. Uh, and that's probably because people are coming better prepared. Like there is the equipment on the ride because people are still breaking their chains and their oh, drillers, right? Or the yeah. trailer hangers. Yeah. One of the things that I found it really handy for was uh, being on group rides and somebody new comes on the group ride and there's a big acceleration and they're not strong enough or, you know, yeah. they're they're not reading the pack well enough and they're about to get dropped because they can't match the acceleration. Um. I would come along and give people a little push just to help get them up to speed so they could stay in the group. And that was something, you know, it was just a small service, but it's something I always really enjoyed doing for people because it could make the difference between them finishing with the group and not. Yeah, it's a very kind gesture. It really is nice to get a push. It feels great. And it's a, yeah, it it is a really good thing. And I think there is probably some... Some people worrying, like, you know, if you're a man, you're touching a woman or who knows what. But Small of the back. <laughs> Small of the back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's a good yes. thing to do. Uh, and, and, you know, because in this day and age, consent, uh, I wouldn't ask for consent, but I would, as I rode up to somebody, if it was a woman and, you know, honestly, it was more often women than men, uh, I would warn them, hey, I'm going to give you a push so you can stay in. I would let them know what's about to happen so that there suddenly wasn't a hand that they didn't know about on them. Right. Uh, That's a good idea. That would be, yeah, that would be cause for alarm. Right. I've seen people <laughs> almost lose control of their bikes when something scares them. Oh, yeah. So certainly. that would be one of those things that would scare a person potentially. So, yeah, yeah. that sounds a great yeah. approach to do that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Groovy. Hmm. Uh, Alrighty, well, we're going to take a break and we'll be back in just a minute. The Cycling Independent, which produces the Pace Line, is undertaking our first ever subscriber drive. The three of us who founded the Cycling Independent did not set out on this adventure to do subscriber drives. But as it turns out, this is the only way for any of us to be able to eat food or retain shelter. So here we are asking you to subscribe. Here's why it's worth your while. Number one, we put out good stuff. Features, essays, reviews, podcasts, etc. We make it all ourselves and we'll make more every day. Two, each of us has a track record of quality work and honesty. You can count on us to do our part when you do yours. Three, our main goal is to grow an independent community of cyclists. People 
who are dedicated to riding as much as possible and also getting as many other people as possible on a bike for the better of our own lives, our families, our towns, and even our planet. Four, more subscribers means we can bring more voices, more diverse voices, and better content to this little game of ours. They say a marketing effort shouldn't use negative words, that you should avoid words like don't and shouldn't and won't. But what we don't do is also part of our value to you. Number one, we don't plant cookies on your machine and then use them to serve you targeted ads from paying third parties. Two, we don't fling advertising at you every time you click on a story or link. Three, we don't accept money from companies trying to get positive press. And so when we recommend something, we do it freely and based on our real world experience. Four, we are not a monolithic publishing company channeling eyeballs into campaigns unrelated to cycling or channeling dollars into politics or other causes, not bike specific, that might not jibe with your views. We are about the bike and riding and bringing people together. End of story. So this is it. We aim to add 300 subscribers in the month of March. 300 new contributors to the project. Join us. It will be worth it. We promise. Okay, we're back with the Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. It's time for my pull. So I was out on my ride yesterday and had a thought, uh, one that I might ought to have had, oh, say a month or more ago in terms of material for a pull. I've been logging base miles for most of this year, quite honestly. There have been a few rides, mostly mountain bike rides. Uh, no, all mountain bike rides where they've been an exception in terms of, you know, going hard and making a big effort, um, including the one last week that caused me to throw my back out. Um, and that's part of what got me to thinking about base miles. Okay. Before I go any further, let me just say that if this discussion gets too rudimentary for any of our listeners, well, I apologize. I know we have a pretty diverse uh, audience listening to this podcast, and I'd rather cover something that some of our listeners already know rather than to talk over the head of anyone currently listening. That wouldn't be much fun. All right. So I need all of us to get in the Wayback Machine for a bit. Don't worry. There's room for enough for everyone. I'm going to set the date for January of 1997. Boop. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> uh, this is way back. Yes. Yes. All right. So we are in reasonably warm and sunny Southern California, and I'm looking over the brand new book from Joe Friel, The Cyclist Training Bible. Now. Up to this point in time, my training was no more than following riders around who were stronger than me. Seriously, I'd show up for a ride and then I'd get a thrashing and I'd go home and hopefully recover. <laughs> Friel's book was the first to introduce me to the notion of periodized training. I remember sitting in my living room looking at that book and flat out not being able to comprehend, let alone picture three months of base miles and what good that would do. And I was already working at a bike magazine, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, 1997 periodized training plans were a new thing to the great majority of us. Um, the advice that, you know, it was not one month, not two months, but three months of base training 
Um, that was really a serious surprise for me. Uh, each month was a block of three weeks of gradually increasing mileage or hours, uh, followed by a week of wet, a week of rest toy boat. Um, and that wasn't no riding, but it was a seriously reduced workload. The idea is just to get a big volume of time on the bike without getting intensity. Our bodies generally can handle either an increase in volume, time, or intensity, hard, but not both at once. Uh I'm bringing this up because I'm willing to bet the majority of everyone listening is in a similar position to the one that I'm in. A reduced level of fitness because of the lack of big events to ride in 2020. And by the way, I've now been a full year without doing a bike event. Super Sweetwater Grasshopper is just over a year ago. It was the last weekend in February. So you're lucky to have that. uh, uh, Okay, sure, sure. I'm not feeling lucky, but I'll, I'll, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I'll, I'll concede the point. Um, Yeah. So. The way that's played out for me is that anytime I do a road or gravel ride now over three hours, I get home with legs that are mm, on their last legs. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it's I mean, it's been a shocker to find myself in that position. I mean, for years and years, I carried enough fitness through the winter that I could misbehave during my base training and get some intensity in group rides without doing myself a serious disservice. I'm sure that if I'd really behaved, it would have done me well, but I wasn't going to give up my social life and <laughs> group yeah. rides were my social life. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. And that's where my, most riders are. Yeah. Well, my fitness has fallen off uh, because of last season that simply riding a 10 or 12 hour week is really about all I can handle right now. I can't do 10 hard hours. There's just no way I'd make it through the week. Um, so as I'm doing my base miles uh, this year, and I've already got a start on them, the blocks will be 8, 10, and 12 hours, then 10, 12, and 14 hours. And if I can really manage to carve out the time, that third month will be 12, 14, and 16. The last time I had a 16-hour week, uh, I had one child. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> and I have an 8-year-old, so <laughs> math is simple. Uh, right. The 16-hour week will likely be the only week with that much time on the bike all year long. But that's all it needs to do is give me that that base, you know, that foundation that allows me to do the other harder work once I back that mileage off. Uh, the one possible exception is if I do a cycling vacation of some sort, go do a tour. Uh, but, you know, I'm not vaccinated yet, so I don't see that happening. Uh, My rest weeks are six, seven hours, uh, which means I could be mm, maybe a little grumpy because those weeks uh, don't give me quite enough time on the bike to preserve my happy. Um, (laughs) Given how much of the country is just beginning to see winter fade, as you mentioned, (laughs) uh, not to mention how much of the country is still deep in winter. This actually is a darn good time to begin doing base miles for most folks. Um, I think I may actually go get a wall calendar because uh, they're 50% off now. Uh, so I can see those blocks uh, in a visual format on my wall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, 
but I mean, seriously, yesterday, uh, I got home. Um, and as I was walking up the steps with my bike, I could feel a little shakiness in my legs. <laughs> yeah. It was like, wow. And it was not a hard ride by any means whatsoever. I was just ticking the miles away. Um, kind of, kind of high zone two, not, not quite zone three. Um, and Which so is, for me, yeah. for me to get home feeling like that, I was like, wow, you've given up a lot. Um, it's, and you know, backsliding, you don't really see it until you see it. Right. Sure. Yeah. What so. was the temperature yesterday? Gorgeous, like 60. Okay. So you don't have any excuses. I feel like longer, <laughs> no, I no longer road rides with all of the clothes, the tights and everything yeah. else mm-hmm. are more fatiguing on the body. I, yeah, I see oh, a yeah. big difference there. So I think that's a lot of what a lot of people will feel right now, too. You feel like, yeah, everything was slower and harder. Well, yeah, when you're more bundled up, it is harder. It takes more energy. And if your body's fighting the cold, there's that, too. So, Mm -hmm. but 60 for you is like cold. So you can use that same excuse if you're looking for one. (laughs) Easy, easy. Uh, I don't complain until it's at least 45, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. I, I'll, I'll cop to 49 and below. I start getting grumbly. Uh, <laughs> I am, I am soft in my middle age-ish. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, one of the things I will say about, you know, being bundled up for uh, a cold ride is that, you know, doing big, hard efforts that make you sweat once you slow down, then remaining warm with all that perspiration on you and not getting chilled. That's another great argument for why you want to do base miles. You stay easy so you don't get wet. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's Um, interesting that you mentioned base miles now. It's typically a base mile type training schedule for someone who has spring events and a typical non-COVID year will start October, November possibly mm-hmm. December, depending what kind of calendar you're on and what events you're trying to peak for. Like if you're looking for a June, July or August peak. Yeah. But now with all the events getting pushed, you're absolutely right. You start your base training now. You're not too late because the first events are going to be starting in later summer or early fall. So this way you're peaking when other people might be burned out. And you're less likely to burn out because you've got that base under you. So, yeah, that all makes sense, especially for this year. Next year, it will be too late. Hopefully we can only hope next year is normal. Next year is a typical year. You want to be ready to go out with base already under you by March 1st today. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah. I, I mean, when I was living in Southern California and even after I moved up here, yeah, base for me was November December, January. Uh-huh. Um uh and sometimes actually beginning in October, actually, uh, given how early the season can start here. But I mean, this is still gonna be such a weird year. I just got a notification earlier today that Bike Monkey, uh the the biggest of the event promoters here in uh, here in the North Bay, they've canceled uh Levi's Grand Fondo for this year. Ah, uh, that's too bad. And I mean, that Fondo is the first weekend of October. And I mean, I get it because this is, it's the biggest uh, participatory event 
I've ever personally been to. There were a couple of years where it was 7,500 people on the road. And so, it, you know, big, enormous thing. That is huge, huge production. Yeah. Uh, I, I, one of the uh, one of the guys who worked there once told me that they had to uh, contract with a whole water truck, an entire water truck, its entire load drove around to each of the sag stops to fill the five gallon buckets to keep the tents from blowing away. Wow. It took a whole truck. That's how many five gallon buckets there were holding down all those tents. So the thing is an enormous production, easily the best produced event I've ever been to outside of the tour of California, but I wasn't racing that, you know, in terms right. of something right. that I've entered Levi's mm-hmm. Fondo is far and away the best thing I've ever been to. Um, but you know, making it that good requires lots and lots of planning. And we are now six right. months out uh, and the contracts they have, you know, they unfortunately had to w- unwind that stuff. I uh-huh. really am. I don't want to say disappointed. I feel for Carlos and his bunch. Um, I, you know, it's like, I'm thinking about maybe we need to do an Indiegogo to make sure that that operation survives the pandemic. Um, I don't know what it's going to take. But oh, this yeah. is a terrible. Yeah, now this is really tough for event organizers. What what can happen this year? And if everything needs to start oh, post Labor Day, I, maybe maybe a smaller event can do an October event. But still, it's got to be on a smaller scale. And and then the, the mm-hmm. year is almost over. The, then the weather turns. And <laughs> I mean, whole, we might as well start saying cross is coming. Yeah, that's that's our only hope. Let's hope we're saying cross is coming. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but that I mean, will be important. Yeah, we got to get these know, things back. At this point, I can say I know a whole bunch of people who are vaccinated. Uh, you know, my mother among them. Thank good, heaven. Good to hear. Uh, my father, his wife, uh, my ex. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, I know. And then lots and lots of friends. I know a lot of vaccinated people. I don't expect to be vaccinated until sometime this summer. I, yeah. You know, as more and more people in my extended circle are vaccinated, I'm less and less concerned about my own not having been vaccinated. But seriously, I, you know, given the way things are going about the best thing I can hope for, I think, is to say cross is coming. Yes. OK, <laughs> we'll, we'll start saying that now and get, looking forward to it. <laughs> And unfortunately, the, the participation in cyclocross is not that huge. It's the amateur events like you're talking about, like the Levi Grand mm-hmm. Fondo, that incorporates more people. A lot of the gravel events um, that happen up in, in Vermont, for instance, mm-hmm. those mm-hmm. have such huge turnout for, for amateurs. And while it will be great to have cross back, it's just not that many people participate. Although maybe this year that will be different. Maybe a lot more people will start to participate because this is the thing you can do. Uh, well, I and the other thing we is, say. given how many people have gravel bikes now, mm-hmm. you know, it, they've got a usable bike for Absolutely. it. Absolutely, any gravel yeah. bike works great for a cycle cross race. I, I honestly like gravel bikes better than I like cross bikes. We have they a lot better. of people racing gravel bikes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Corner better. <laughs> there you go <laughs> yeah. yeah and then if you're not doing a uci race you can have whatever tire size you want so like the barriers to getting into cross are not that huge yeah, the, yeah. the equipment part of it's taken care of for most people yeah yeah so uh something to hope hopish for 
Mm-hmm. Right. We Ugh. need hope. We need hope. Goodness. <laughs> <laughs> everyone, yeah. everyone wants the group ride so badly. Every single time I have a meeting now with someone, they're bemoaning not having the group ride. It's what people mm. are missing so much. People are missing each other so much. And goodness, like under the full moon, that ride, that filled my soul in ways that I was just like, oh. I just can't even imagine. So I envy you that. Good to stand around. And like after the ride, we stood around, we drank hot drinks, we had cinnamon rolls and well. Oh, oh about, now you're just rubbing it in. I I <laughs> feel fine doing that. <laughs> you know what? Because anybody can get people together outside, a small gathering, everyone stood apart and wore masks. And if you're eating and drinking, everybody was standing apart. The wind was blowing. It felt so safe and it felt so good and and i think people should be putting some energy into getting people together to do whatever outside because everybody needs it badly right now so you don't have to wait Amen. for your bike shop to do that you don't have to wait for your typical group ride leader to do that anyone can call a ride and get people out for it in fact i've got to share this story this was really cool i got a text on sunday morning from a gentleman who is from spain he had been located in the Boston area for long enough to join us on at least one of our full moon rides. So mm-hmm. the text that I got from him Sunday morning was a bunch of photos of him and his friends in Spain doing a full moon ride. And they were smiling. He said he's got 15 people on the distro list for people he invites to come out on his full moon ride that he now yeah. has in Spain. And I literally teared up seeing that. Like that makes awesome me feel sauce. so good. So yeah, I mean, there you go. And I mean, he's, he's more or less getting into cycling. He left when he was really just starting to taste how cool gravel cycling uh-huh. is. So yeah, just, just great. He's getting people together. They're out there smiling and under the same moon we were. Awesome. That's just amazing. Wow. It is. How it's, cool. It's, it's great. We have a <laughs> already cool cycling community in this entire world. And that's what's neat. We're all bonded by cycling mm-hmm. no matter where we live. So true. So very true. All righty. Well, let's move on to the paceline picks. Okay. So I referred to this earlier when you were mentioning that you should break your chain somewhere other than the quick link because you need mm-hmm. special tools for getting the quick link apart. Right. Now, most chains do come with quick links now. Once upon a time, not too long ago, 10 speed and fewer speed chains came with pins. So fortunately, <laughs> we're no longer talking about putting a pin in a chain because that was a frequent source of a chain break. If you heard someone say they had a chain break, it was probably because the mechanic hadn't properly installed the pin. So you put too much power down. It doesn't necessarily happen on the first ride. So it's not always obvious. So you don't have to worry about installing those pins anymore. But there are quick links for eight speed and up chains. There may be even be for fewer than eight speeds, but those are the ones that I found uh, in a quick search. So the thing I am suggesting to carry with you is the Wolf Tooth Master Link Combo Pack Pliers. Hmm. That's a mouthful. These are very lightweight, aluminum, and small. They fit in almost any size saddlebag very easily. When you open them up, there's space inside and little magnetic, uh, little magnets to hold in two sets of quick links. So that's a great place to store your quick links 
And these pliers, all they do is you put them in the chain, you push it together and the chain pops apart or you, you twist it a little bit and the chain will pop apart. No matter how tight those quick links are in your chain, mm-hmm. it, it, it opens any chain. I have wow. very good luck with these. I've used them multiple times. It's $32. Like on their light. So it's easy to carry with you. There are a lot of other pliers. And, and if you go to the bike shop, your mechanic's going to have a bigger set, of probably heavier pliers. And those are generally well, potentially less than $32. But at the same time, you wouldn't want to carry that other tool in your saddlebag. <laughs> I have yet to see one that would fit in a saddlebag. So it, give me some sense, give us some sense of how big are these? I would like to say they're about four inches long. It's interesting. Okay. In my mind, they were longer than that. But when I pulled it out on Saturday night, like, oh, that's that was very small. It's a very small form factor. So, OK, so, yeah, I think it would fit in most small saddlebags, maybe not the very small saddlebag, but almost anything bigger than that. You're going to be fine. OK, very right. handy to have with you. I'm going to need to check those out myself. Uh, yeah. yeah, I I I think I may know of a saddlebag or two that might need some. <laughs> I do know these are in <laughs> stock. I I, most bike shops at this moment could order them if you ask them for one. Now, Wolf Tooth also just came out with a similar p- uh, pack pliers that it contained tools inside the pliers. So, like Allen Keats. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I haven't used it yet. I haven't seen one yet. So, I can't say one way or the other on that. But I do think having a separate multi tool with the chain breaker and all the things you need in it is probably the better choice than mm-hmm. having the pack pliers that have most of the tools because you're going to just have to get the tools again. So now you're paying that weight penalty for tools, tools in two places rather than mm. just the pliers being the pliers by themselves because they're so little and light. So that is my suggestion there. Okay. And it will right. come in handy. Yeah, no, it sounds brilliant. Uh, and certainly, you know, something else I'll mention uh I've never seen broken chains the way I have on gravel rides. Right. Right. You don't see it on road rides almost ever. <laughs> oh, well, and, and the last mountain bike race I did, last couple mountain bike races, I, you know, I haven't seen broken chains there for whatever reason. Uh, <laughs> but but gravel rides, for whatever reason, there I go again with that phrase. I just <laughs> <laughs> gravel rides. Stuff happens. It does. <laughs> They, yep. they really are events in the grandest sense. Uh, reasons both good and bad. Yeah. True. Uh, true. Well, what like bad challenging. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking back to other times I've seen derailers go. We were riding through a really uh, grassy field and grass got stuck in someone's derailleur. Oh, and my that, gosh. That yanked that derailleur hard enough to break the the uh, chain hanger or the um, derailleur mm-hmm, hanger. Mm-hmm. So. Little things like that. Like if you're on a mountain bike, maybe your derailleur's high enough off the ground or you're not even in the same place when you're mountain bike. Who knows? But you're right. Things happen on gravel rides. Yeah. Yeah. That's for sure. Okay. Alrighty. My pick this week is another kind of non-cycling thing. Uh, Audible.com. <laughs> this, oh, this one I'll grant pick. is maybe a little bit dangerous for two different reasons. First, let's be honest. There's a lot of antipathy for Amazon, and I get that. Uh, I, uh, yeah, I have um, some serious ambivalence for that outfit. Um, but 
there are things that they offer that are really difficult to achieve otherwise. Uh, second, suggesting our listeners should listen to something other than us is maybe a little risky. <laughs> um, I don't want to send people away. I've never been a fan of listening to music on road rides or gravel rides, though I'm willing to do so on off-road rides, uh, so long as the volume level isn't, say, mm, who concert. <laughs> yeah. I'm still doing the majority of my miles alone. Uh, and by the majority, I mean like 98 percent, uh, really. Uh, and while I like it in here inside my head, uh, there's really only so much of my own thoughts that I can do. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm a writer, so I'm in my head tons, you know, sure. daydreaming is part of my job description. Uh, and the bike you know, is a great place for that. Yes. Core skill set. Okay. Yep. Yep. Uh, but you know, breaking up my podcast, listening with books, has been just a terrific switch. And if I take my books with me, I'm getting two avians in a single effort. The subscription with Audible, the basic one, is pretty reasonable. Just $14.95 for one credit per month. Uh, I find myself listening when I'm doing laundry or the dishes or longer drives. Uh, best of all is that I can listen to a book while I'm on the bike path, just ticking away base miles and still hear other people approaching from behind. I can talk to people, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's not like listening to music where everything else gets blotted out pretty easily. Um, so I feel pretty safe doing that. Yeah. That's a great way of getting more in your brain. You make better use of your time. That sounds really good. Now tell me, uh, explain what the credit is. Uh, oh, each book is a credit. Got it. So okay. yeah. So for your monthly 1495, you get one book. So 12 books in a year. Um, and you know, if you're using it with some consistency, it's really, it's going to pay off just fine. I, I find every three or four months, uh, I get ahead of that. And so I have to buy some extra credits. I think I'm going to upgrade my, my subscription to, uh, two credits for 2295, which is a substantial savings. Um, yeah, right. it's, and one of the other things for me is I'll listen to books that I would like to read, but would never otherwise carve out the time for because of the other, you know, kind of quote unquote, more serious books that I feel a need to be reading. Sure. So, yeah. When nice. time is so limited, that's a great way to spend it. Yeah. Definitely. Well, and you know, it gave me a chance to do things like revisit 1984. Um, and mm -hmm. yeah, I, I've, yeah, I've done all sorts of stuff. Um, yeah, uh, a few titles that I'm probably not willing to say in public. Uh, some, some really unusual stuff. Yeah. So it's been, yeah, it's been really nice. Uh, and I think it would be handy for a whole lot of people who are probably still writing alone. So, yeah, yeah that's a good yeah. point. Right. 98% of alone time. That's, that's <laughs> a lot of time. You get your content for this podcast together and then the rest of the time, listen to other yeah. things. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, you know, for work, I do two video calls each week. You know, there's mm -hmm. there's us recording this and then there's the Zoom session that I do with Robot and Kush for TCI every Thursday. Mm -hmm. So I am alone an awful lot. <laughs> well, I'm honored that I'm one of the very few people in your life, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. I'll, I'll say that from from the bike shop perspective, I've been doing a lot more video calls lately. And yeah, I've been enjoying that. 
it's been great. I see a lot of people in person, but obviously it's a very reduced number because we're trying to keep in-person appointments to fittings and and just when we need to be doing a demo ride, that sort of thing. But video calls have been great. Getting to see people and yes. talk, it's a connection that has been really good. And it's easy to share the screen if you want to look at color schemes together, that sort of thing. That's so much simpler with video conferencing technology. So there's something I've never done in the course of my work as a in the bike shop that has really come in and handy. So, so I like that. I, th- I think Very everybody cool. should do that. I think a lot of people aren't comfortable being on the other side of a video camera, uh, but it but it really is great to be able to see each other's expression out there. And I'm looking at you while we're doing this. That's yeah, very helpful. It's, it's yeah, it, good for it, communication. Facial expressions. I miss those. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's a good thing. <laughs> we can't forget them. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, that's a wrap on another episode of the pace line. Uh, you got anything fun planned this week that you're doing? Uh, obviously not a full moon ride. <laughs> we got right. a little while to wait for we the next got one. Another of those. month for the full moon. I haven't, haven't thought ahead to this week. The temperatures continue to warm up, but mm-hmm. there's still a lot of really good snow. When I was out on the gravel bike yesterday doing a road ride, I was seeing a lot of places where the snow's turned to ice crunch. Now a bit of the, the, the surface of the snow is rideable to a certain extent. So we'll see what that ends up yielding. So it could be road riding now or getting out on the on the crust of the snow when it's cold enough first thing or last thing. But we'll see. Every day is going to be a play it by ear. Who knows which bike's going to get ridden? Well, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> who Who knows? This month is always a big question mark in New England. So is next month. I just yeah. have to be willing to roll with it. If it's a cruddy day, I'll just go inside and use the trainer. It's fine because all the great <laughs> riding is is coming in one form or another. How about yeah. you? Uh, just trying to boost my mileage, you know? Uh, great. Do that with space miles. It, it looks really gorgeous outside. I should maybe not say that too loudly. Uh, if I can manage, I'll even squeeze in a little ride today. Uh, <laughs> just part of that, getting my volume up. Yeah. Yep. So. That's great. Good place to be. Already. Well, everybody, keep those questions coming. You all send us great stuff. If you've got an idea, please drop by the Cycling Independent and put a suggestion in the comments. We hope you've enjoyed the show. And if you have, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us easier for other listeners to find. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with Patria Vandermark. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line.